Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Yeah, I Said It. And as always, the show is hosted by yours truly, Lance Williams. Want to wish everybody joining the program a happy holidays, a happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, um, a happy Festivus. Um, I want to wish you all, if you, whatever you celebrate, I want to wish you a happy that. Um, also want to apologize for the technical difficulties we had a couple of minute, minutes ago when we were starting the program. Um, as we were, I'm using a new computer and I'm trying to get the new computer set up and ready to go. And unfortunately, we had a few difficulties. Um, also, yeah, we had a few difficulties. And uh, I want to make sure you guys are seeing me. If you're out there and you're listening to the program, hit me on a live chat to make sure that you can see me. I'll big up so it's, people are seeing me now. Hopefully, this looks a little better. And it probably sounds about the same, but hopefully, it looks a little bit better. Big up to Melvin. Big up to Claude, Greg Wakefield. Big up to everybody else in the live chat that are slowly chiming in. Hopefully, you guys are still in the mall shopping, doing whatever, spending those gift cards. Big up to all of you. Big up to my brother who gifted me with the sweet Carnegie Mellon uh, hoodie here that I have on. Uh, big up to him. This is my alma mater. So, you know, I wanted to wear it, wear a little bit of apple cap, be a little more festive for you guys for the holiday season. Want to send a big shout out to my co-host of The Standard is the Standard and the Steelers post game. And I want to apologize because I may not be on the post game at on Sunday because I have to practice the waltz with my daughter. Big up to Brian Anthony Davis, who's bad, a.k.a. Mr. 2 a.m., a.k.a. Mr. Just Take It, a.k.a. Mr. 60s Drapes. Big up to the brother Sco, big brother Sco, and the Oracle of the website, Dave Schofield. On this particular program, and before we jump into it, if you're feeling so inclined in the holiday spirit, if you want to help us with the program, make sure you subscribe. We are trying to get 5,000. I have not checked. I have committed to, I, I, I put my neck on the line saying that you guys would get us to 5,000 by New Year's. Please, please get us to 5,000. I wanted to get to 6,000. Maybe we can get to 6,000. But basically what I ask you guys to do for everyone that is on the live chat, we need a like of the video and or a subscription if you're not subscribed to the program. So Faceless Man, if you like the stream, hit us with a like and hit us with a subscription. Also, if you want to get your question, and we're going to be taking questions in the live chat, I want to kind of get through the show first before I jump into questions. So wait on your questions. You can hit us with a super chat. If you feel so inclined in this holiday season, you hit us with a super chat. Your question goes to the top of the queue, and I guarantee hit your question. But before we jump into the program, again, want to wish all you guys a very merry, happy holiday. Um, so big up to you once again. The title of this program of Yeah, I Said It is simply, Don't Blame Devlin Duck Hodges. Blame the offensive line for the woes of the Steeler offense. Now, obviously, you can't blame just one entity. But I think the overwhelming blame in this case can go to two parties. It can go to either Randy Feetner or it could go to the offensive line. And after watching 
the offensive line's play against the Jets and watching their offensive line over the past several weeks, their performance and their play, I think a lot of the blame squarely should rest on the Steelers' offensive line. So there's a fair share of blame to go around. But when you average 10 points a game in the last two games, 15.8 in the last four, and you're averaging 20 with Mason Rudolph as a starter, and 17.4 with Duck as a starter, clearly is an issue in this offense. And the one thing that has been pretty stable across the board when we evaluate this offense is the offensive line. Now, over the course of several podcasts, several shows, copious amounts and numerous amounts of articles, Jeff, myself, Dave, who's bad, have all slammed Randy Feetner and Duck. But we've kind of given this offensive line a pass. One of the reasons we've given this offensive line a pass is because Pouncey's a pro bowler. David DeCastro's a pro bowler. Alejandro Villanueva was a pro bowler. And we'll talk more about Alejandro Villanueva's performance this year. But we have not knocked this offensive line because this offensive line has been lauded as a top five unit over the last several years, particularly when it comes to pass protection. This has been lauded as an outstanding offensive line. But the question is really, is it really that this year? I don't think that it really is an offensive line that we can consider that is elite. So when you take a look back in terms of evaluating this offense, and when I say don't blame Duck, blame the offensive line, I put it in the context following. What is the best friend of a rookie or inexperienced quarterback? What do we hear pundits say all the time? What do you hear OGs and old heads like myself say all the time? A defense, a running game, and special teams. That if you want to support a young quarterback, and if you want to support a rookie quarterback or an undrafted guy, like Melvin said in the chat, running game and a defense. But I'm going to also add special teams because special teams is part of that defense. Punting the ball. Flipping field, that's the equivalent of getting a defensive rebound. That's how you protect a rookie quarterback. But Big Mar 34 also chimed in and said a very great line. And part of that is a running game. That's what I'm getting at when I say the running game. You want to take it out of a rookie quarterback's hands. You don't want an inexperienced quarterback to be forced to make plays. You want to put a rookie quarterback or an inexperienced quarterback into some very easy situations. Offensively, you want to keep them on schedule. And you want to put them in position where they can easily convert third downs if they need to. So let's go back to that again. A great defense. Defense keeps the game close. It keeps the game manageable. Again, it puts a rookie quarterback in a position where you don't have to put it on his shoulders to go out and make plays and to win games for you. 
So what does the defense do to do that? They keep the score down. What has the Steelers defense been doing over the last several games? They've been keeping the score down. Pre-Minka, they gave up about 30-plus. Post-Minka, they're giving up 16.5 points per game. In the last two weeks, they've given up 34 points. They've given up 16.5 on the nose. Or 33, I should say. About 16 and a half, 16, about that. So they've given up that number on the nose. So typically, if you have a good offense or a good quarterback in most very good teams, if you say my defense is going to only give up 16 and a half points per game, guess what you're going to be? Winning divisions, winning Super Bowls, and or competing for Super Bowls. So when I go to don't blame Duck, blame the offensive line, You've got to blame the unit that most people and most and most people consider the best unit on the football team. Now, Realtree Z71 brings up a good point. Couldn't you place a sliver of blame on the quarterback for not properly reading the blitz and communicating and communicating proper protections? I'm going to eliminate him from communicating proper protections because there's no way in the world that you should have a rookie quarterback calling out the protections. That should be the job of a center. Marquise Pouncey, whoever's playing the center position, they should call out the protections. Now, a rookie quarterback may not pick up the blitz well, but riddle me this, and we're going to get to my big point. When it's the running game, if you're running the if you're running the ball efficiently, you can put yourself in down in distances where you can effectively eliminate blitz calls from a defense. If you get into consistent third and shorts. Teams aren't going to blitz you. And if you can run the ball well on first and second down, you're not going to get blitzed there either. So if you're running the ball well, if your defense is playing very well, you're keeping the score down, you can eliminate some of the issues that you're going to face in the blitz and in the blitz game. So before I get into some of your questions, let me, let me just jump into the number two, running the football, running game keeping you on schedule, moving the sticks, not putting your quarterback in some third and long situations and some bad third down situations. The special teams, we talked about flipping the field. Now, let me jump into some numbers. When it comes to the Steelers and this running game, and this is why the, you can put a large part of the blame on this offensive line, because they aren't running the ball well against anyone. And Melvin is right. That team up north, what did they do when their deep, their offense was struggling against the Bills? They ran the football and committed to running the football. So let me give you some stats. In terms of yards per carry, now I split up my metrics when it comes to yards per carry between backs and all rushers and backs only. So if you look at all rushers, including wide receivers and quarterbacks, the Steelers are averaging 3.6 yards per carry. Now that is 28th, excuse me, in the National Football League, but that's second to worst because they're tied with the Bucs and Miami is last tied with another team. So they are essentially the second worst in the National Football League in terms of yards per carry at 3.6. In 2018, it was 4.2. In terms of yards per game, they're only averaging 90.4 yards per game, which is 26. Now, 
let's kind of let that synthesize this a little bit more. Yards per carry on first down, two. Yards per carry on second down, 3.4. That's not going to get it. Those numbers aren't going to keep you on schedule. Those th- those are going to put a rookie quarterback into some bad situations. Now, on first downs, in terms of first downs created by rushing, they have 71 this year. That's 29th. By contrast, the Ravens are number one with 173. Now, in terms of yards per carry, the Ravens are averaging two additional yards per carry than the Steelers at 5.6. So when the first place team in the division is averaging 5.6 and you're averaging 3.6, dare I say, there could be some issues. As good as Lamar Jackson has been, that running game has supported him. His own legs and Ingram and the rest of that running team, they have committed to running the football and doing it well to support him in the passing game. Anytime you can throw for five touchdowns on like 23 pass attempts, why can you do that? Because the running game is absolutely murdering teams to where to win games and score 40-plus points and you only have to throw it 23 times, that tells you the running game is murdering teams. The Steelers have not run it well enough as a foundational piece of their offense to support Devlin Duck Hodges. And because Duck and Mason are very young players, much of the blame cannot be put on their shoulders because they're inexperienced players. Now, let me give you some more stats here. There's a stat called EXP which is called expected points contributed by the rush offense. The Steelers are ranked dead last at 32nd, and the number is a negative 64.2. Dead last. In terms of rushing TDs, the Steelers have six rushing TDs in 15 games. That's 31st in the National Football League. Let me just roll that back. Six rushing touchdowns. For a Pittsburgh Steeler team in the 15th week of the season. Six. Six. Six TDs. 31st. That is absolutely abysmal. They aren't getting anything out of the running game. And a lot of that, you could say, well, you know, because you have a rookie quarterback, uh, you know, Juju's been banged up, the wide receivers are young. There's no fear of, uh, you know, of a passing threat. You can load the box. If I put four wide receivers out there or three wide receivers, if I go 10 personnel or 11 personnel, you can't put an eighth defender in the box. Or if you do, it's at your peril. By formation, I can get that extra safety out of the box by making that player account for a receiving threat. So, yes... Not having been on the field, it's going to impact the running game because it's going to impact coverages that you get. But that can't squarely be put on Doug Hodges. I mean, when you line up an additional tackle and two tight ends to the right side of the formation and you run that way, I mean, and then you get one or two yards, you've got to get some push. If this offensive line were playing better, this offense would be better. The offensive line 
and I, and I disagree. I don't think the offensive line was specifically built for Le'Veon Bell, Mr. Butt-Naked and Robbed. This offensive line was built to pass the ball like 600 times and pass protect so that quarterback that currently has the big beard like myself could throw the ball and sling it all over the yard. They weren't committed to running the football last year. And because they have not been committed to running the football over several seasons, it has now bit them in the fanny. Because in the last two weeks, they've thrown the ball 38 times a game. You've got Mason Rudolph and Devlin Duck Hodges, and you're throwing the ball 38 times a game. Now, one thing that has also hurt this offense, and it's not the offensive line's fault, but I want to read a stat. It's, it's James Conner's injury history. And let me read this stat, and I want to give a big shout-out to the to the Oracle Dave Schofield. He wrote, and this is from Steelers Superfan Dad, who's Dave Schofield. And make sure you check him out on Twitter. Let me say that again. Steelers Superfan Dad. Dave wrote the following. Since injuring his shoulder in week eight of the 2019 season against the Miami Dolphins, James Conner has only appeared in three of the last eight games. In those games, the Steelers are 0-3. So when preparing, so when the Steelers are preparing their offense without Connor, they are 5-0. Additionally, the last three games in which Connor did not play, the Steelers rushed for over 120 yards in each contest. Is that a Connor effect? Is that an offensive line effect? I don't know what to say to that. I just know that those are interesting stats. But I know not having your lead dog or lead running back is also going to impact you. Let me jump into this comment from Realtree Z71. He has some good comments on here. And I think Frank Crocker is right. It's Ben's offensive line and Ben's coordinator. He said, true, but remember, Lance, you said the offense cannot win while throwing the ball 40 times, which is a plus. It cannot. And that's going to be the given, that's going to be the given tug next year. But when you are in some obvious situations, where you can be able to get your when you put that many blockers on one side of the formation, I don't care. You can't get stuffed. And speaking of stuffed, Pro Football Outsiders does a great job with their statistics, and they have a statistic called stuffs, and and they've been charting this for years, and I think they do a fantastic job with their stats. And so I'm going to give you a, a definition of just what stuffs are. But when you look at this offensive line, I mean, just look at it. It hasn't played well. And they haven't been able to run it effectively the entire season. I mean, it's, not, I mean, it, it's, just, it's just really hard watching this team and watching them struggle with running the football. And when you know that to support young players, you have to run the football well. You just have to do that. So let me give you the definition of stuffs. A stuff, according to Football Outsider, is percentage of runs where the running back is tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. Since being stuffed is bad, teams are ranked stuffed least often to most often. The Steelers are 31st in the National Football League, where 24% of their runs are stuffed. Now, I, I just want to give you, by contrast, what the stuff number is for the Baltimore Ravens. So they're number two. They only get 13% of their runs stuffed. 
13% as opposed to 24%. So almost 25, a quarter of your runs are stuffed. That's bad. That's just not good enough. And that's offensive line play. Here's another stat I want to give you. Power success. And power success is percentage of runs on third or fourth down. Two yards or less to go that achieved a first down or touchdown. This also includes runs on first and goal or second and goal from the two-yard line or closer. This stat also includes quarterbacks. They're 31st when it comes to power success. Let me give you the last stat. Running back yards. Again, and that's yards per carry by a team's running backs. And again, let me sort this here. And the number one team in the National Football League when it comes to running back yards are Carolina and Baltimore. The Steelers, three point or excuse me, 3.7 yards per carry. Again, like 28th in the National Football League. So bottom line, this offensive line, I think, is the major blame for the struggle on this offensive line. And I think it starts with Pouncey. I don't think Pouncey is playing as well as we've seen him play in the past. I don't think Pouncey is a Pro Bowl player. In fact, I know he's not a Pro Bowl player. I think David DeCastro is a Pro Bowl player. I think he is clearly the best offensive lineman on this team. However, he's one guy. I mean, I think moving forward, and we talked about the difficulty in signing Bud Dupree next year. I think moving forward, Ramon Foster should be one of the cuts. I think Ramon Foster should be one of the cuts you make, and B.J. Finney should be slotted in as that at that guard position. I think B.J. has does a better job. I think he's more powerful. I think he does a better job of getting to the second level, and he's more athletic. I think that would be an instant upgrade, and they would run inside zone much better where you get a double team on the inside, uh, inside meaning you double team probably the three technique. You, you, more than likely, it's the one, the zero one or the three technique that's getting double team or two technique. You're double teaming that tackle, and then the guard is coming off that tackle, and he's getting to the second level and scraping on the linebacker. The uh, Castro is the best offensive lineman. I think you got to pair him with another athletic guard in BJ Finney. But I think they're going to have to commit to paying BJ Finney some money, and that's going to be difficult. But I get, think getting rid of Ramon Foster gives them some cap space. But bottom line, they have not run it well enough to support a, a young quarterback. And, and, and so I, I think a lot of the blame can go to this offensive line because they can't run. There's no play-action threat. None at all. None at all. And because they can't run, it compounds the fact that they have young guys on the outside. If you could run the ball and get more on schedule, this offense could be much better. So, again, they, they've got to improve on the offensive line, and I think a majority of this rests on the offensive line because right now when you look at that offense, the best position group has to and must be the offensive line. But I want to jump into some of your questions uh, on the live chat. Big up to Felicia. Hey, Felicia. And Frankie V asked me this before I jump into my prediction of the game because you didn't get my prediction because Jeff was so kindly enough to do the show on Christmas. Let me take a break. Uh, but I want to give you my prediction of the game. 
I saw Frankie V. Yes, I did. I, I did see Mr. Third and Fifth working out for the Saints. I think the issue there is if he indeed gets signed by the Saints, will he be put on a commissioner's exempt list? I think that's the issue. Um, I would imagine that the Saints have discussed Mr. Third and Fifth status and if that will happen. And I think if they get a favorable answer, I think they'll sign him. I think they'll sign him. They'll give him 10 to 15 plays. He'll master that, and they'll be deadly with him and Thomas. But the issue, I think, is whether they'll put him on the commissioner's exempt list, and if they kind of give the Saints any indication that he'll be ready for the playoffs. I don't think if they signed him that he'd be ready for Sunday, but the, but the, I think the case for the Saints is sign him, get him into our program, get him ready, and, and have Mr. 30 and 5th make his debut in the playoffs. He's still a talented football player. And if you put him with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, how you like me now? Funky. I mean, it could be, <laughs> I mean, that could be real funky. That could be real nasty. Um, AB on the Saints makes the Saints real tough. Excuse me. Mr. 30 and 5th on the Saints makes the Saints real tough. But they've got to get that sorted out. That's not a Steeler problem anymore. Uh, the Steelers have their own problems. And I think the Steelers are going to be really challenged when it comes to playing up in Baltimore on Sunday. Because I think what has flown under the radar when you think of the Baltimore Ravens is just how improved their defense is. Their defense now is playing at a top five unit level. And they weren't always this good. This defense wasn't that good earlier this year. They've done a fantastic job on both sides of the ball. So even if Ingram doesn't play, Lamar Jackson doesn't play, Andrew, some of the other guys, I still think with the Steelers' offensive challenges, they still got to go up against a very rugged Ravens defense on the road in M&T Bank. And that's a tough place to play. I think the Steelers are are immensely challenged uh, when it when it comes to uh, scoring a football. Offensive line is inconsistent. The quarterback's inconsistent, and they're inconsistent on the outside. And, and, and I think Frankie V said it best. Because the Saints got hosed last year, um, don't be surprised if somehow uh, it works out for the Saints and Mr. Third and Fifth is on the Saints. But I think the Steelers are going to be really challenged offensively when it comes. But that doesn't mean that they can't win. I think they will win the game if they do not turn over the football. And that's going to be tough because this team has turned it over in 22nd consecutive, 22 consecutive games. I think the Steelers' defense will handle their business. I think they'll be tough on RG3 and that running game. They gave Lamar Jackson all he could handle. Sacked him five times, intercepted him three times. I, I think they have a handle on how to control the Ravens offense, the question is whether they'll score enough points. I think the Steelers are going to win. And I know when I say I think the Steelers are going to win, that distresses a lot of you guys out there. A lot of you guys feel terrible with the fact that I say they are going to win. I think the Steelers are going to win the game 16-13. I think they don't turn over the football. I think Duck plays a clean game. They kick a bunch of field goals, score one touchdown, and they win 16-13. And maybe I'm just saying that because it's the holiday season, but I, I, I think they're going to win the football game. The question is, will the Tennessee Titans lose? 
I'm on record as saying I think the Titans lose three straight games. So I think the Steelers are going to get the sixth seed at nine and seven, have to play the Chiefs and get absolutely blasted. But I don't think that the schedules, uh, the schedulers in the NFL, by flexing the Steelers game to 145, did the Steelers any favor. Because I think the Chiefs play earlier. And if the Chiefs wrap up the three seed, what's the incentive other than knocking out a divisional opponent for Houston to play anybody? It could be a case of if the Chiefs lock it up, you see Houston just, or if the Chiefs are out to a big lead, you see Houston start sitting people because they got to play the next week. Um, But I think the Titans are going to lose. I think Houston wins. I think the Steelers win. And I think the Steelers get a six seed. But again, when it comes to the defense, or it's not the defense, when it comes to this offensive line and it comes to uh, placing blame, I think it has to go with the offensive line. The offensive line is the most paid unit. It's supposed to be the best unit, and you're supposed to be able to run the football to support a rookie signal caller or an inexperienced signal caller. I think the defense is doing its job in terms of keeping the games within a range where you don't have to win a shootout. I think special teams, for the most part, is doing its job. I mean, we've seen some inconsistency in the punting game over the last couple, but largely this season, I think special teams has done its job in terms of flipping field. The running game has not done its job, and I think that's largely based on the offensive line. I mean, when you're averaging 3.6 yards per carry, you're just not getting it done. And that's not going to that's not going to facilitate consistent play by your quarterback. And so, uh, you know, an offensive coordinator is put in a bind. Like, you don't want to keep chopping wood and getting no return. But, I mean, they got to figure out how to get this running game going in this last game of the season if they want to possibly beat the Ravens on the road. But, again, before we get out of here and before we close the program, make sure you like and subscribe to the show. If you guys – I want to lay out for a couple of seconds. If you guys have some questions, make sure you hit the Super Chat feature. Um, we'll, we'll jump into that. But if you guys don't have any Super Chats, you know, we're going to get out of here in a few seconds. And again, I want to thank you guys again for jumping onto the programs, really supporting us. Hopefully, you've gotten us, gotten us to 5,000. Um, if you're in a live chat, um, oh, that's hilarious, Felicia. Uh, I hope Ben is playing, uh, his football playing arm is as good as his fork arm. <laughs> Uh, that's that's that, that that that's pretty good. Thank you, cousin Dave, uh, uh, for for the kind words. But again, but really, if you're in a live chat and you're not subscribed, man, just do us the favor right now and subscribe to the program. Hit the subscription button, you know, and, and just give us that gift. That's the gift that keeps on giving for us. Um, thank you, Kathy, for the super chat. The two bucks that goes a long way. Make sure you subscribe to the program as well. You know, the two bucks that Kathy gave us and the contributions that you've given us this year have have helped us in acquiring the microphones. And that's why the sound quality of the show sounds a lot better. So I want to thank you guys for that. So, again, if you guys don't have any more Super Chats, um, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Thank you, Ryan. We're almost at 5K. Be that guy to push us over to 5K. We need to get that 5K. I I said I thought you guys could push us to 6,000. So if you guys want to get us to 6,000, spread the word, have your friends subscribing, you know, um, let me, let me jump into this before we get out of here. And Shania Lang said, Stefan Gilmore is overrated. 
And, and I wanted to jump into that, uh, who my defensive player of the year was. And I bring in some other things when I think of defensive player of the year. I don't think it's just based on your performance and your defense's performance. I think it's based on your overall – I think it's based on your team as well. So I would not give defensive player to a guy that had 30 sacks on a team that won one game. I would not give uh, – uh, because playing quality defense – should at some point translate to uh, winning football games. So the reason why I slant towards Stephon Gilmore is because I think corner is one of the most difficult and most valuable position. I think edge rusher is equally as valuable as a corner. So TJ and, and, and Stephon Gilmore play the most, I think, important positions on defense, edge defender and corner. So that, so that nullifies itself. Stephon Gilmore, I believe, is leading the National Football League in sacks. I don't believe that T.J. Watt is leading the league in sacks. Um, Stephon Gilmore, I think, is the best corner in football. I think on the best defense in football and on a team that's the number two seed, on a team that is clearly carrying a team that is bad offensively. So when I couple all those things together, I think it's Stephon Gilmore. I think if T.J. Watt goes out, balls fantastic in the last game, and the Steelers get to the playoffs, I think you give it to T.J. Watt. But right now, I would give it to Stephon Gilmore. He would be my defensive player of the year. I know you guys are going to hate me, you know, hashtag hater. Um, <laughs> Ryan Kellerman is saying, uh <laughs> You're making my ears bleed. But I think Frank is right. Frank Crocker is right. If the Steelers make the playoffs, T.J. Watt will get it because it will be seen as the defense is clearly the reason why the Steelers are in the playoffs. You have to reward winning at some point. You can't, in my opinion, be defensive player of the year on a team that does not make the playoffs. This is about winning not stats and individual performance. It all has to translate to winning. The Pats are winning, that team up north, unfortunately. And unless the Steelers get to the playoffs, I don't see T.J. Watt getting. If the Steelers make it to the playoffs, I also foresee Mike Tomlin being coach of the year. Winning brings rewards. That's just how it goes. Um, and Felicia is absolutely funny. Her emoji game is rock solid. But with that, we're going to conclude the program, and as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.